0: Welcome to the P4C Podcast. We are excited to reshare with you the last 12 years of teaching through God's Word at Passion for Christ Summit. Each week, the P4C Podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. Our current series is from P4C 2017, Resolved, Why the Reformation Matters Today. We now join our speaker for the conclusion of last week's message. We hope you are encouraged and challenged. So kind of moving along here, we've got a question here. That said, you know, obviously God is not like us. We would all, you know, agree with that on some certain level. But are we like him through our new self in Christ?
1: Um, this we, we discussed this a little bit before we came in. This gets into a couple of things. It, it gets into the God's will for and God's work in the Christian. And it gets into God's communicable and non-communicable attributes it's an important distinction because the ones that are communicable are those that God commands us to grow in as Christians he commands us to be faithful he commands us to grow in wisdom grow in grace to, uh, to grow in likeness to Christ there are aspects of his nature that we're to grow in as Christians uh, and and we are to some degree like that as we grow uh, then there are non-communicable attributes those that he cannot does not communicate with us because he's God and they are true of him and him only. He is omniscient. He knows he knows everything. There's nothing hidden from him. Obviously, that's not so of us. He is omnipotent. That means He is He has all power. That the question was, does he, is he powerful enough to make a rock? Too big for him to pick up is a non-issue. That's a silly question. It's a it's a discussion-ending question. The only people who ask that question are the people who don't want to know God. But He is omnipotent and He's omnipresent by His Spirit. All those things we can't be. We're not going to be able to be those in eternity. But we will be like Christ in eternity, and we will have His certain of His communicable attributes in eternity. We're growing in those now. We will have them. That we will not have them as He does. He is infinite. And we are finite even though we have eternal undying souls. So uh, there's some of those attributes like his wisdom and so forth that we grow in. We never get totally like him in them.
2: I don't have much to add to this one. I, I, I would just say, look, uh, when we see him, we shall be like him. We shall um, be, take on uh, some of of this glory that Christ has, you know, He is the prototype. He came back. Um, we will take on um, this perfect body, no longer restrained by sin, no longer tainted with sin. We'll no longer do battle with sin. Uh, we will we will have His righteousness, and we will be with Him. And um, you know that that's going to be heaven. And uh, we, I think Charles is exactly right. You won't take on. Uh, his incommunicable attributes. Um, but there, there will be there will be a change. We will be like Christ. You, you want to see what we will be like, look to Jesus Christ. We will become like the prototype, the trailblazer, as Hebrews calls him.
0: Um, I didn't know if we'd have time for this, yeah. but we'll kind of touch on it since we have a little bit of time left here. And yeah. I know you're going to preach on this, so we sure. won't be able to fully the explain this, but kind of two questions that are dealing with the issue of depravity and free will it's very natural questions that come up when you start discussing the things that we're discussing and I'll read this one here Mm -hmm. if we are totally depraved then how do we be or how are we saved if it is completely of God calling us and drawing us to himself then is there any responsibility for us on our part or it's just 100% God all the time like are we his robots do we have a free will
2: yeah, we're dealing with the nature of, or the nature of man, and uh, that's, that was Luther's question, and that's what led Luther to develop his theology. What has sin done to the human heart? How, how has sin affected man's nature and his constitution? Do, does man have a free will? You know, I, I would argue Adam and Eve did. Um, at that point, something happened when they ate from the tree. Uh, mankind died. In fact, God said, you shall what? You shall surely what? Die. And the Satan, uh, Satan comes along and says uh, in the Hebrew, not you shall surely die. It's, it's this not. He's negating it and he's calling in question the words of God. Uh, but what happened? Well, man died in every possible way. Uh, we died in our relationship to each other. We died in our relationship to God. We died in our relationship to ourselves, Now man doesn't even know his own self. He doesn't even know his own heart. And there's this separation in so many different ways. We died to God. We died to each other. We died to the world. We died to everything. And the constitution of man, the, the nature of man is dead. So we're going to get into this tonight. Uh, a large section of the study tonight will be concerning that in Ephesians 2. And uh, the, the big question is, what has sin done to man. And my argument is, well, he's dead. So what does he need? He right. needs a miracle. Yeah. He needs a resurrection. And we'll talk about what that looks like tonight in the passage. It's a, um, it's a dark beginning of the study we're going into tonight. Very dark. You know, it talks about our three enemies that we're enslaved to. We're enslaved to the world. We're enslaved to the devil. We're enslaved to our own flesh. And it's a very dark, dark place that man begins. But God but God, being rich in mercy, right he, he, he brings about new life, and we're going to talk about what that looks like tonight.
1: I, um, and I don't want to sound overly discerning here, you, know, but I sense in that question, and in, in all of us, a trouble with having tension in our theology, right We, we want to resolve it. We want to resolve the whole thing of God's sovereignty. If he's, he's either sovereign, we say, well, he's absolutely sovereign. Absolutely. And that means he's sovereign. If he's sovereign, he's sovereign. If he's not sovereign, he's not sovereign. He's either sovereign or he's not. You can qualify it with absolutely. But then we see us, and we see us making decisions, and we want to have some sense of control in it. And, when that, and, that, and then it frightens us sometimes. I know in my early days, it fright, that whole concept frightened me. God would. Uh, arbitrarily do things Choose some not choose all that that's a, that's a big struggle well, you just, We don't ever stop struggling with that one So when you hear Matt preach tonight You, gotta, you have to live with some tension you, There's tension between the responsibility of man And the sovereignty of God Does man have a free will you, he, he sure does He can choose whatever he wants to choose Now there's the problem What does man want Based on what Matt said And what he'll say tonight What do men and women want by nature? Well, they're by nature, as he's going to say, children of wrath. We choose according to our nature. We can't choose any other way. Are we bound by that nature? We certainly are. In that sense, we're not free. We're not free to be what we ought to be and what God wants us to be. That comes with regeneration and salvation. And as he goes through that, you're going to see that unfold some of that passage. You know, it's interesting you talk about this issue
0: of tension. I had a friend of mine who was attending a Christian college, um, and um, he was in class. And it's interesting, his professor, I've actually sat under some teaching and stuff before, so I was familiar with this way this professor taught. And he was always, my friend was always asking questions, still asking questions, still Very inquisitive and kind of likes to get in discussions. And finally, the professor looked at him, and my friend would not mind me using his name. He said, Zach, you, the problem with you, literally, he said, he said, the problem with you is is you do not like to live in tension. And there are some times you're going to live in that tension and you're not going to understand everything absolutely. And there are times you have to trust the Lord and And we want to seek to understand it don't want to discount that, but there are times there is that tension and we struggle with it, and we wrestle with it, and we have to do that
2: yeah it's
0: it's 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 tough and and be okay with that I mean, obviously don't stay in the same place. we got to move along, but we do have that tension we have to work through so uh kind of closing out here as we close our time a um, couple of questions here I thought were just were really cool one first uh which of the reformers? meaning us as speakers, which of the former's most impacted your life and why? Do you want to go first, Dan?
1: That's difficult to say. Maybe um, because I spent a lot of time dealing with, in preparation for this, and I've preached through Romans twice as a pastor, um, and then Martin Luther, certainly because of the... the, um, the vast sort of uh, experience he had in the whole thing. I mean, Matt touched on it after I spoke because he had to go to Scripture alone or else then he had no basis for faith alone. And uh, uh, the struggle he went through. Now, there are some things about Luther I would try to straighten him out on, like his crassness and his, uh, you know, because I'm a pretty starched kind of a guy. You know, so not not perfect, just starched, but um, <laughs> maybe stale is the right word. But Luther's his struggle to come to some sense of assurance. I know that struggle to feel like. I can't get this thing settled, you know. And I I preached to my congregation once. I shared my experience from a little boy, nine years old, making a profession of faith, 11 years old, 12 years old, high school, college, period of rebellion, going through all that, asking Jesus to save me over and over again. Why couldn't I get that settled? And that then, Luther, the question I brought up, how can I know I'm right? How can I know I'm righteous? How can I be righteous? You know, and uh, I, I appreciate that struggle. Sometimes I just couldn't. I just, I, well, you know, but God brought him to light. He brought the gospel to, to bear on his heart. And it shone like a flash. The just shall live by faith. And uh, maybe as much as anybody, Luther.
2: Yeah, for me it was definitely Luther. Um, I don't, I don't feel so much connection with Calvin or any of the other reformers, but Luther, Luther is at the heart of it for me. I love his boldness. He changed everything. Love his boldness. I, um, I think that, um, you know, I connect with his frustrations. He was so frustrated, especially in the Book of Romans. He's teaching the Book of Romans, and he, and he comes to that phrase, "the righteousness of God." The right over and over again he sees that phrase he hates it he hates up. it Yeah. He hates it. yeah he, at one point he did hate right. it he, he, just, dis- like, hate he it. despises every time he reads he that phrase love God. sometimes I think I hate it yeah <laughs> and uh, the righteousness of God that keep, keeps coming up and every time he sees that phrase the righteousness of God he, he hates God he hates this phrase because he knows he doesn't have it and uh, the epiphany of all epiphanies when he realized that's talking about Jesus that's the righteousness of God it's not man's work. It's not man's you know, filthy rags in Zechariah. It's, it's, it's not man's filthy rags in Isaiah. It's, it's uh, the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And it, was, it became beautiful to him. And I think that, that touches on my own salvation, my own testimony. Yeah.
0: Yep. I think for me, um, as I've kind of thought about this and I've been studying it all year long, at the beginning of January I started reading and got to know these men more. And I would have to say overall... These men are just like us. They are sinful men. And that struck me that these were not... You know, So often we do put men like this, and nowadays we do put men like this on a pedestal, but these men were searching and struggling with that. And I think that impacted me the most. But probably I would have to say two. One being Martin Luther, as you said, his boldness, his determination to figure it out. You know, what. At first he was like, what do I have to do? And then he comes to the realization, I don't do anything but trust Christ. Um, But then I would have to say Calvin, in particular because of obviously what I preached on last night and his consuming drive for God's glory. And I think that I'm reminded personally of the need to be consumed for God's glory alone. That is my purpose. That is my drive. That's why I do what I do every day, no matter what that is. So I'd have to say I, it's hard for me to nail it down to one. So I'll nail it down to two. Um, so last question here before we close, um, and obviously we've all had the opportunity as speakers to listen to the other speakers and kind of hear, and maybe even as you were preaching, uh, what has challenged you from all the sessions that we have had <coughs> thus far, and even maybe something that you've been preparing for.
2: I. I, I um I love the, the focus on the glory of God. Um, I really appreciated your sermon. I was really thankful for that. Um, you know, I think, I think so often we are searching and I'm going to, I'm going to address this in my, my last sermon on, on Christ alone, but, uh, so often we're searching for something to satisfy us. The human heart is constantly looking for satisfaction. And, um, some of you even here are looking for satisfaction. And theologians call this what the big hole in the heart right, and so what do we do man we 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 get aggressive and we try to stuff things in that hole right sometimes it's sometimes it's people, and so you try to gather up these relationships and you think, boy, if I just had this or if i if I just had a yeah yeah, technology if I if I just had a spouse right oh man that would that would really do it for me and then I'd be happy or or let's say I got the new greatest technology or the newest computer or laptop or whatever and you just stuff this stuff in your heart some of you it's money some of you it's money and you say I want I want money or or I want the dream job and and at the end of the day none of that satisfies us and and we're we're left empty um but as you were speaking, I was just reminded of, of uh, the early 2000s. I don't know if you remember when Piper was doing his, uh, his, his big passion conferences. And, and uh, I remember watching whenever, I'd never heard of this guy. And he got up there and said this phrase, God is, is most glorified in us when you're most satisfied in Him. And I remember that being so revolutionary for me. And thinking, okay, God's glory, my satisfaction, those two things work hand in hand. And uh, that's the truth of the gospel. And so for me that was that was a joy just uh to, to hear some of that yesterday
1: yeah, and just since you said that uh, it, it it has been and has over the years been the gospel itself that's there's the great uh, I mean, Piper talks about the Christ being the blazing center of the gospel. That's the hub and the wheel of everything else. Everything comes out of that. The gospel, you know, God is the gospel, as Piper likes to say in the book he wrote. But the, the gospel so easily gets clouded, not because the gospel's faulty, but because we cloud it. M- mankind, humans cloud it. As I shared in my own experience, I had believing parents, and I was raised in church, but a lot of what I heard was a man-centered gospel, and it, you know I, what can I do to get insurance? You know what? So for me to study through these things and see the um, the biblical gospel, to embrace the biblical gospel uh, that's not at all man-centered. It's God-centered. It's Christ-centered. Uh, it is um, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This mystery of God of Christ in the Gospel itself, God throws everything off everything's uncovered in the Gospel itself. Spurgeon, sixteen years old, knew the Puritans, had a mother who prayed for him and made him read the Puritans. He was incredibly intelligent, but he was not a believer until he stumbled in a snowstorm into a little um, storefront. It was so bad, the weather was so bad the pastor didn't get there and some Fella, who didn't know his head from a hole in the ground. I mean, theologically, read from Isaiah: "Look unto me and be saved, all you into the earth." And he just simply walked through each word: "Look, look to me, look to me and be saved." And that's that's it. Look to Christ. Um, that's that's the glory of the Reformation, really, the gospel. And the glory of God is seen in the gospel, his grace in the gospel.
0: Amen. Well, unfortunately we're out of time. Uh, Appreciate you, gentlemen. Thank you for um, being willing to work through these questions. So let's just close in prayer, uh, and then we will be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to work through questions, and may we never stop doing that. May we continue to ask questions and to seek the word of God, not just the counsel of men, but the word of God itself. Sola Scriptura Scripture alone Father, and know that your Spirit will guide us as we read the word. Lord, we pray this in your most holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about p for c visit our website at p4csummit.org or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org We hope you can join us next week on the p for c Podcast as we dive into a new session from Passion for Christ 2017. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for His glory each and every day.